0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to my show, The Ryan Tony Blogs Podcast. Today, I'm using a M-Audio 192.4. I'm still not uh, tech savvy, but hey, you know, uh, trying to upgrade a little bit and uh, get a little better so I can, you know, deliver um, for the listeners. And like I said, I like I've said before, I want my story to be clear and um, I want to get my message across. And the main message I want to get across is of hope and of um, of love and goodness. But at the same time, I'm going to talk about, you know, the dark times. So uh, for today's podcast, I'm going to have to actually read it just because it's very uh, sensitive, a very sensitive topic and um, it's very personal. So if I were to uh, freestyle this or just go through notes, I'd totally you know go off go off the charts. So I had to write this down just to keep me um, keep me in line with my thoughts. So I hope you enjoy and uh, give it a listen and just a heads up. it is a little depressing uh, depending on uh, how you hear my story. And I know that there are other uh, ex-members from the religious group that I was in who were also, you know going through some of these experiences which I'm about to share. So just a heads up, it might be a trigger trigger warning for some of the audience. When following God feels like a mistake. part two, chapter one, Isolation in prayer. to the chapel I was sent. A room of prayer became my prison cell. I could not complain nor speak, for it was said that we had, quote, no rights, only duties. The isolation, the darkness, the humiliation, these became my friends, and I embraced them. My mind was clouded, and my soul was pale, for I just obeyed and did what I was told. From 1:30 a.m to late evening, I would be in my prayer chapel, my cell, alone, forgotten. Eventually I would hide snacks behind a sacred image so I could munch on during the day. I was expected to pray non-stop and to grow in holiness during this time. Instead, a fire was slowly starting to grow. Not the flames of holiness and love, but the flames of anger from the terrible leadership within the community. I would breathe slowly, painfully, praying that this nightmare would end. My faith never left, but I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be a missionary, not to be locked up and forgotten. But it was my obedience to do this and I could not question. Minutes, hours, weeks and months had passed since I was given obedience to be in isolation. I had been condemned to be like Cain, yet I did no evil to deserve this isolation and solitary confinement. We were told that If we did not obey, or if we questioned, that we would be hexed and not blessed by God. I obeyed out of fear and no longer out of love as I had done before. For they had darkened my mind with their curses in the name of God. I would stare at the clock, but time had lost all meaning. I would kneel and pray. Stand and pray, sit and pray, but the dark clouds would not go away. For they had put it into my mind and heart that I was no good, that I deserve all the bad and suffering that comes to me, and that I had no other choice but to obey. Sanity? I barely hanged on to this. My emotions. My thoughts, my soul, my body was feeling the weight of despair. I needed a miracle. Chapter 2, Mission and Death One morning, when I was on my way to the chapel, a brother, a good brother at that, gave me the good news that I was to get ready for a special mission in Nebraska. I was only told later that the only reason why I was allowed to go by the mean superior was because I was the only brother who spoke fluent Spanish. But I didn't care what the reason for me going was. I was just so excited to do what I loved. In less than five minutes, my luggage was packed. We didn't have many belongings, so that wasn't an issue for me. I was going to Nebraska, and I wanted to jump up with excitement. Also, there was a special excitement within me knowing that I would be far away from that bully of a superior because he was traveling to another state or country I don't remember. As I was on the mission and getting ready to sleep, I would always remember that superior and how he never spoke to me or made me feel visible. I was just a number with no rights, only duties. I had also heard that he had not wanted me, he had not wanted me to go on to this mission or any mission, but that my good brothers, that my good brothers would urge him to let me go out of fear that I would lose my sanity. Reluctantly, he let me go, but he was just giving the dog a bone. The date was July 15th, my birthday. Me and the brother who was with me, as well as the good sisters who were with me, were saying goodbye to the beautiful and kind-hearted people of Nebraska. They gave me good food and even a nice dessert in celebration of my birthday. It was my first time celebrating my birthday in years since it was not allowed in the community. And I was so happy. But that joy would only last for moments before it was taken away from me in an instant. the brother who was with me tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, it's for you. It's your brother, Carlos. He showed me the cell phone that he had, and I could see that someone was on the line. Quick side note. It was a rare treat to see or speak with family members due to the whole, and I'll quote, this is what they would tell us, attachments to the family is from the devil. I was blessed a year and a half before this to see my family in san antonio actually but even during my visit with my family in san antonio i kept in mind that i was being watched by god and that he would not want for me to be near my family or attached and that i had to obey every single thing from a superior to the letter and that i had to do everything absolutely everything under permission or flow of grace or as we would call it, the FOG. Anything done outside of permission, outside of FOG, the flow of grace, was to be seen as a disgrace. But enough of this ranting and side story for the moment. I will return to this part in the story soon. So I'll continue. I grabbed the phone, full of excitement, and felt loved for the first time. Because in so long, my family hadn't called me. Or they weren't allowed to call me. I don't know. I thought my brother was calling me to wish me a happy birthday. But it was something else which he was obliged to tell me. And this is how the conversation went. And just to give you a little bit of context... Um, it was hard to talk to family. It was hard to uh, do phone calls because sometimes they're monitored or because you know we're we're busy quote unquote busy. But also it also depended with the superior. Some superiors were like, no, you have only two minutes. Other superiors were, yeah go ahead. And so anyways, in at this period, I hadn't spoken to family in quite a while since I saw them a year and a half earlier. So, well, here's the conversation. This is how it went. Hey, Carlos, you remembered my birthday, man. I'm so happy that you called. How's the family? There was a pause in his voice, but I, I didn't understand how come he wasn't sounding so happy. After a moment, my brother said, Grandma is dead. Chapter 3 a year and a half earlier. Things were a lot better for me at this time. I wasn't undergoing solitary confinement yet. However, I already had it in my mind that I could not act without the flow of grace or permission from the superior. It was an abuse of authority. Anyways, I also had in mind that I couldn't be attached to family and that was pretty hard. Well, I was sent to San Antonio, Texas, where my family moved to after leaving Los Angeles. I went with my brothers and sisters who were missionaries. And sadly, the bully of a superior had to also come with us. I didn't know yet how messed up he was, but this trip was the beginning of my frustrations with him. My family came to the hotel where we were staying. It was the first time that I had seen my brother Carlos in nearly seven years. So you can imagine how thrilled I was to be allowed to see him and hug him. It was also the first time I met my little niece and to see my little nephew again. It was so difficult to keep the tears of joy and pride from falling down my face. I saw the happiness in all their eyes, especially in my father. It was such a happy moment to have a break from that separation from my family, whom I loved so much. But, but as our bonding would get deeper, I had to remind my family that I had a mission to take care of. They understood, and all was well. Well, on the day before we left San Antonio to return to the East Coast, both of my brothers, Stephen Carlos, had spoken with my superior, Father Blank, to make a special request on my behalf. turns out that Father Blank had told my brothers that I could go out with them and that he was going to Carlos's house to do a special house blessing and to pray over the family. We were all so happy that we, we could get to be with each other alone for once. Finally, I hugged my brothers and parents with so much force that we almost all fell to the <laughs> almost fell to the ground. Well, we ended up eating at a nice restaurant in San Antonio. I remember the joy, the laughter, the hugs and kisses. Then as we were wrapping up our meal, my mom said, Ryan, let's go take you to see grandma. She isn't far from here. Immediately, fear came upon me. I didn't have permission or the FOG to do that. And besides, Father blank said so that he was going to bless Carlos's house. I told my family that Father was supposed to be heading to Carlos's home at 5 p.m. And since it was nearing that hour, we decided to go straight to his house. There we were waiting for Father to arrive. I texted him, called him, called him again. I must have called him 70 times. I wanted to ask permission to see my grandma, but he never answered. I wanted to know how far away he was from from my brother's house or to ask if he needed directions, but he never answered. It was getting late and my parents had to go to their homes. Steve had to go home and study and the kids, well, it was past their bedtime. It was just me and Carlos. It had been the first time I was alone alone with the champ in years. And I felt so miserable. Miserable and humiliated because Father Blank had promised to come bless his house and pray over the family. Yet he never did. I called and called him, but no answer. Then I got through and spoke with a friend from San Antonio who was with the missionaries earlier. He had told me that they had all gone to the hotel and were already sleeping. I asked him, how long, how long ago had they been gone? And he told me, a few hours. It was midnight. I was exhausted. I was sad. I was embarrassed. Carlos drove me back back to the hotel, but since I didn't have a key and all the missionaries were sound asleep, I I had to stay in the hallway of the hotel. Miserable and forgotten by the superior whom I thought was, was supposed to take care of me and lead me, I knocked and knocked, but no one opened the door that night. Chapter 4, Not Caring for the Sheep After I heard the news about the passing of my grandmother, I was on the plane heading back to the East Coast. The brother who was with me was kind, compassionate, offering me prayers, but he also kept a wise distance. Upon arriving to the mission house, I asked immediately to see Father Superior, the bully. He had not yet arrived, but I waited for his arrival. My thoughts were all over the place. I was again fearing, fearing that I would have to be separated separated from the community after just completing an awesome mission, mission in Nebraska. Real, reality was setting in, and I feared going back to my lonely prayer chapel, my prison cell. Then I saw the lights from the vehicle which the superior was riding in. He was finally home. I could see him driving in and parking from the window. Trying not to cry from the grief of losing my grandmother, I went outside to meet father and to beg him mercy and compassion so that I could go home to mourn with my family over the loss of my grandmother. Father. I really need to talk to you right now. You see, my grandma, and then he interrupted me mid-sentence. And this is what he said. Now is not the time to talk to me. Leave me alone. Damn. I left his presence feeling shamed, angered, and the grief of not being able to be with my family at that time. I went into the woods behind the house to look up to the stars and beg God for answers. Why is this happening to me, God? I still love you. But why are you hating me? I wept and begged God for the strength for what I was to do next. I ripped out a blank piece of paper from my journal and wrote something like this. Dear Father, it is so nice to know that you love giving time to people out in the missions. But when it comes to feeding the sheep in your own community, you seem not to care. Good job. I posted right by his doors that he could see it in the morning. And he definitely saw it in the morning. We had finished our prayers and one of the brothers came up to me saying, hey bro, uh, father wants to see you. But this time I was not afraid. I was pissed and full of courage to talk to him like a man. I marched up to his room and knocked, waiting for him to open the door. As soon as that door opened and I stepped foot in there, He threw down the note that I wrote to him, and with a loud voice he said, Why did you write this? I was ready, so I barked back, Because it's true! I explained to him that all that I wanted to do the night before was explain to him that my grandmother had died, and that I just wanted permission to go home to pray and mourn with my family. He looked at me with his stupid eyes and said, Well, you were allowed to go see them last year. If you didn't see your grandma, then that's your fault. Anger was flowing through my veins, but I contained myself. This was a time of mourning for me. So I broke down and said, I just want to pray and mourn with my family. It is not fair that the other members in this community get to go home and be with their families. Yet when I want to go home, it's a big deal. Look, I have obeyed all of your stupid obediences and even obeyed to the letter when you sent me to be in isolation in the chapel, even though that's never what I wanted. So please, I have obeyed every command. To the letter, all I asked for is permission to go home to bury my grandma. He looked at me with his dumb eyes of false compassion and assured me that he would speak with my family to make arrangements for my trip home. And that the next day, which would be July 17th, he would let me know what arrangements are made. I was relieved because I believed that he actually listened to me. I went to sleep a lot more peacefully that night. July 17 came. For once, Father Blank came to look for me, to tell me that he had spoken with my family. I was ready to hear the good news that I would be allowed to go home again. My bags were already packed and I was prepared to get the hell out of there. Instead, he said this Well, I spoke with your family and they said it is financially difficult for them to pay your trip to go to the funeral in Los Angeles. They insisted that you stay here in the mission house and keep them in your prayers. I was heartbroken. I felt my mind and heart fall into millions of little pieces, broken. How could this be? I thought to myself. But I obeyed. And from there, I went back to my prison, the prayer chapel, to be forgotten once again. Chapter 5. The Truth Comes to Light My grandma's funeral had passed. Months had passed. I was no longer in such strict isolation as before, and things were starting to finally cool down. It was getting closer to Christmas, and the days were getting colder. I just didn't know how much colder they were going to get. On one December night, I received a call from my brother Steve. He was traveling through the East Coast with a few friends and was calling to let me know that he was going to drive to the mission house to visit me. A few days later Steve was knocking on our door and as and I was able to give him a big hug. Hey, I'm Latino. We we love we love to hug, okay? Anyways, I was even more happy because the crazy, bully, cult like Father Superior, Father Blank, well he was out of town and instead we had another priest as superior, but he was actually the vicar. This other priest was and still is a huge inspiration to me, man. And thinking of how he treated me with kindness and compassion, it always gives me a smile. After spending time with Steve at the mission house, he went to ask the vicar if it would be okay if he could take a couple of us out for breakfast. Without missing a beat, this good father said, Absolutely, go on ahead and have a good time. There we were in IHOP. It was my brother, his friends, his girlfriend, another brother, and me. We were all sitting at one booth waiting for our breakfast. I remember this clearly. I was drinking my coffee and and could see that my brother had a troubled look on his face like he wanted to say something. He brought the coffee mug to his face to cover his lips so only I could hear him. And he asked, why didn't you go to grandma's funeral? I looked at him confused and brought the coffee mug up to cover my lips just as he had done so only he could hear what I had to say. And this is what I said. I spoke to Father Blank and he said that the family couldn't pay my ticket and that the family said that it would be better for me to just stay at the mission house and pray. Steve looked at me with a confused look that I had never seen on his face ever in my life. He brought the coffee to his lips and whispered, that's not true. That's not what happened. There was a feeling of betrayal so strong in me that I lost my mind for a second. I was confused, betrayed, psychologically abused, lied to, kept from my family, and all these feelings and wounds found no healing. I stood up and threw the mug into the window, shattering it into pieces. I tore at my face and took out chunks of flesh and had the taste of blood in my mouth. I was yelling in agony. Then the food was served. I woke up from my trance state to look around me. I hadn't thrown the coffee at the window. I touched my face and everything was just fine. I was not bleeding, but my soul was bleeding. My mind was bleeding from the torment of being, of being played with. I asked Steve to tell me exactly what he was talking about. I had come to my senses and was a lot calmer by now. This is what Steve said. Father called us up and we thought he was going to talk to us about making arrangements for you to come to Los Angeles to attend the funeral. Instead, he said that you were busy on a mission and that you hoped that the family would understand. He made it sound like you didn't want to come to Los Angeles and that you would rather focus on missionary work. I listened to my brother tell me the truth, that the family indeed had wanted for me to come to the funeral and that they were eager to pay for my ticket. But Father Blank, whom I respected and trusted, lied to me, and he lied to my family. And he made it sound like I didn't care about going to the funeral, that I didn't care about them, which was an evil lie, because I wept in his presence, begging for permission to be with them, to bury my grandmother. It was at that moment that I began to wake up. My trust for these bad superiors went downhill from there, but I had no idea that things were only going to get worse.